Blog Talk Radio. Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm Kerry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com, joined as always by producer Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine and Drew DeArmond of 97.7 ESPN The Zone in Huntsville. Pretty funny picture going around Facebook right now. It's a picture of Smokey, the coon dog, Tennessee's mascot, and his statement is, I'm not volunteering. You've seen what happened to the 12th man. Well, that summed up a lot of this show tonight, but uh, we also got some great basketball news and and other odds and ends to talk about. But we'll go ahead and bring in Drew. Uh, Drew, a great 41-23 victory over A&M on the road. Uh, Let's close out by talking about that first. Drew's having trouble hearing, I think. Okay, he's good. Go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a great win. Uh, taking care of business uh, defensively, uh, probably the best performance of the year, holding uh, one of the best offenses in the country to 316 yards and seven points, uh, running back three pick six, uh, making Kyle Allen, who I think is one of the better young quarterbacks in the country, uh, kind of look bad. Uh, he had to eat some humble pie a little bit. He, he kind of got loose with his lips early in the week, and I think he'll learn from that and be a good player. Hopefully he'll light old Mrs. Rear end up this weekend. But he, he had a long day, 20 of 40, 263 yards in the three picks. But, you know, he did throw one TD in the game, and I think he'll uh, he'll learn from it. Christian Kirk made an explosive punt return, uh, had 90 yards receiving on seven catches. He's the real McCoy. But Alabama was the better all-around football team and, you know, made enough mistakes on uh, – and the special teams to keep them in the game for a while, but ultimately the defense was too tough. And offensively, I always said if they protect the football, Alabama was going to win the game. They protected the ball. Only turnover coming on a Cyrus Jones lost punt, a fumble on a punt return, which would have set Alabama up with some great field position. But again, Alabama avoided the huge mistakes offensively. And Jack Henry was amazing, 136 yards on a career high, 32 carries, couple of touchdowns. Alabama 41-23, uh, another uh, huge crowd, another Super Bowl for Texas A&M, just like for Georgia, but a lot of uh, A&M fans going home with long faces. And if you're an A&M fan, you got to start to wonder a little bit, Drew, if maybe you weren't sold a bill of goods with your $5.5 million coach. Oh, we'll see. Uh, I, I do think someone's teams are too soft offensively. They still can't run the football against a quality opponent. I do think John Chavis is going to continue to turn around the defense, but that will play itself out, no question about it. It uh, should be very, very interesting. And uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting offseason because I think Alabama is going to have quite a bit of turnover on their coaching staff. And, 
Coach Saban's always been a master at putting the pieces together, and we will see, you know, what happens this time. There could be several coaches. Uh, I would, I think uh, there's a very, very good chance at least three are going to be elsewhere, and, uh, and it's just it's going to be very, very interesting. I just, but I think uh, uh, Alabama, their coaching staff, we, you know, we we all know about the controversy with Lane Kiffin. I thought for the most part he called a pretty solid football game. Still had some issues with some of the speed sweeps and getting away from the toss sweep, especially when uh, Ryan Kelly went out. But I do think there's a little bit of overreaction to J.C. Hassenauer. Uh, as of right now, it looks as though he may start the game, even though I do think Ryan Kelly may end up being okay. But I think much like Bradley Bozeman last year, with a week of practice under his belt, I think J.C. can do the job. Uh, and I think actually he did some good things in the game Saturday. So we'll see. But uh, I just think right now this coaching staff with how it's constituted at Alabama – Everyone stays focused and does their job. Alabama's got a, a really good shot to 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 still uh, you know accomplish some great things and have a chance to win this SEC championship. But they just got to take it one step at a time. And you do that, and you're going to be in the playoff. Getting back to what you said about turnover, uh, Travis Haney, who's pretty well respected of ESPN, he his sources are telling him that the top three in no particular order to replace Steve Spurrier at South Carolina are Kirby Spark. Tom Herman and Justin Fuente, who got the biggest win of his career this past week. Sorry, Hugh Freeze. But uh, Kirby Smart to South Carolina, at, at first people were saying pump the brakes and not so fast, but it's starting to sound like it could possibly happen, Drew. It may very well happen, but I think there's another school that could get involved with Kirby Smart. I uh, got some good information tonight. We will see how the dominoes fall. Some other dominoes would have to – fall into place uh, for it to happen. But I do think that uh, Kirby Smart, uh, the chances are as strong as they've ever been that he is going to finally get his opportunity and move on. Um, I've sort of changed my theory on what Alabama should do should that happen, in my personal opinion, after watching uh, what he's done and, what, and, and, of course, knowing his background and wanting to hold on to him. Uh, I believe that Mel Tucker should be elevated to defensive coordinator. Uh, with what the job he's done with Alabama secondary and uh, can uh, can continue his work with those guys. And then an inside linebackers coach would have to be brought in, which would mean Jeremy Pruitt would be staying put. And I know a lot of people would like to see him back at Alabama, but he and uh, Mel basically coached the same position. And I've seen this, uh, this, that, this is as good as I've seen the Alabama secondary play in a long time. And I think Mel Tucker is made for the college game. I think he did a really good job in the NFL, but, I think he could be someone, the longer he stays at Alabama, the better the defense gets. That's saying a lot. Uh, but I do think with the talent that's on hand, he could do an outstanding job. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how it all shakes out. Well, Chicago fans were glad he left. But you're right, it's a whole different ball game in, in college. We'll see. Nick Saban will have some choices. Uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting scenario. Uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. We'll know sooner than later. But before we proceed on, Let's go ahead and give our producer, Mr. Watts, a chance to pay a bill or two. Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. At the gym, during your commute, Audible.com provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, as well as business information providers. 
Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPads, Android devices, and Windows phones. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. So you can access your books anytime and anywhere, right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the Great Listen Guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title, anytime, no questions asked. If you know about me, all the stuff I do with Two Deep Zone and BAMS Radio, as well as being a full-time graduate student, I'm a busy guy. Audible.com lets me grab a book and listen on the go where I'm commuting to and from class or in between classes. And just today, if you go to audible.com slash Bama, you get a free trial. Well, I'm all about free. Uh, I really would hate to be that guy sitting there listening to his audio book and about halfway through the first chapter, he's on a bus or a plane and he's just, man, this stinks. We won't use the other word. I would hate to be that guy. I will tell you a funny story, though. And by the way, welcome back to Banners Radio. I'm Kerry, joined by Drew and Thomas. I was once taking a 23-hour train ride, Drew, from Tuscaloosa to New York City to be in a wedding back in the 80s. And the snake book had just come out in paperback. So I'm sitting there reading that book on the train by myself, minding my own business. And I got to the part where Kenny Stabler's dad got tired of everybody hanging out on his pickup truck during Kenny's Little League baseball games, and he somehow wired it up. And when people sat in the back of the truck and started watching the game, he cut the truck on and shocked them all, and they jumped out of the back of the truck. So when I read that for the first time, I just busted out laughing on an Amtrak going to New York, and people look at me like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? But anyway, we got an extremely, uh, extremely good lineup of guests tonight here on BAM's radio, starting in just a couple of minutes and going really all the way through the full two hours. But Drew, why don't you give them a preview of who all we got coming on tonight? Well, you know, we, we've got some excellent guests coming on tonight, including the first one, who is on our Big Head Chuck Barbecue Hotline uh, we're, we are going to be talking right now uh, to Ryan Callahan of GoVolve 24-7. Uh, Ryan, uh, welcome to BAM's radio for the first time. I know you've been on my radio program in Huntsville talking ball, but we uh, we want to thank you for joining us tonight here with us at BAM's radio and uh, appreciate you taking the time during a busy week, my friend. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem, man. I know this is a big week for Tennessee. Uh, Always is, whether it's the third or the fourth Saturday in October. Uh, the Vols, uh, it's funny how, you know, winning cures a lot. I mean, I know there was a lot of angst among the Vol Nation and about Butch Jones when the near misses against Oklahoma and obviously with the really the, – the biggest heartbreak was Florida because uh, everyone knew about the nine-game uh, winning streak and uh, for the Gators and, they, and Tennessee dominated that game for much of it on the road and then of course the on uh, the uh, the heartbreak against Arkansas as well but then to turn around after all that and uh, get down 24 to 3 at home to a very talented Georgia squad and find a way to win uh, I guess uh, it, it's been a, a, a much uh, a much more uh, joyous place to be around probably in the last uh, couple weeks yeah, it has been a lot more positive vibe around the the program the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, going into an open date, I think that was huge. And, and as you said, just to to kind of get the bad taste out of their mouths after uh, a few really really tough losses. That I think we really tested the uh, you know players, coaches, team chemistry, everything. 
I think was kind of uh, hanging by a thread there to, to some degree, and they, they needed something good to happen, and they really needed to get you know, one of those big games on the schedule at some point. They needed a signature win uh, to kind of hang their hat on this season, if nothing else. Uh, and, and I think the fact that they got that Georgia game you know, definitely gave them a, a much better outlook on the rest of the season and, and gave them a, a much-needed boost of confidence going into to what obviously will be, will be a tough game for Tennessee Saturday at Alabama. Ryan, this is Kerry Clark. I'm Drew's co-host, one of them, and uh, this is probably the first time you've ever been on with somebody that works for Scout, but I'm a stringer, not a full-time Scout employee. And I did do some time <laughs> last decade. Last decade, I did do a few years in the Shannon Terry Empire. So we are very glad to, to have you with us. Question for you regarding uh, health situation. Uh, what is the extent of the flu that's been reported for Jalen Hurd? Well, yeah, it doesn't. I don't think that's too too serious. And, and flu might be kind of overstating it based on what we've heard. It sounds like more of a stomach bug, that type of deal. So I don't think it's anything that's likely to be a real issue uh, into the weekend, and, and certainly nothing that we expect to to really endanger his status for the game. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like everyone that I've talked with so far expects him to be back uh, fully healthy at least by the end of the week. So uh, we'll see how he recovers. Obviously, sometimes those things can be unpredictable but if the, if it's what we've heard and it's more you know more stomach bug less you know full-blown flu then, then i think it's definitely a little bit a little bit less of an issue to, to worry about you know as long as he's able to to get the fluids he needs and get back to full strength you know i think he'll be fine uh certainly within the next couple of days and ryan obviously this is a big game josh dobbs coming off really i, I think the best performance of his career in that, uh, especially in the second half against Georgia, he was very sharp, uh, you know, 300 yards passing, over 100 yards rushing. Uh, he's someone that's going to – that gave Alabama some trouble last year uh, when he uh, basically had, had – the plan had been almost to redshirt him, but uh, we saw the struggle of the Justin Worley injury. Uh, Peterman did struggle uh, at the beginning of the game in the first couple of series, so they did go uh, to Josh Dobbs, whose legs did – uh, concern Alabama somewhat. He did make some plays, and he helped the Vols rally uh, in, uh, before Derrick Henry kind of closed that game out in Knoxville last year. But just kind of talk about his evolution. And hey, I know he had struggled some uh, throwing the football early in the season, but he seems to be hitting his stride now. Kind of talk about where he is as a player. Well, well, definitely that Georgia game was, was big for him. I think he had, he had definitely had some, some questions surrounding him through the first five games, and, and, and Gary Daniels and CBS that, you know, rightfully said that, that he thought Josh Dobbs was one of his biggest disappointments for, for the SEC this year. Uh, you know, his, his downfield passing had not been where they wanted it to be. Uh, you know, just in general, when teams have been able to force him to stay in the pocket and prevent him from being a threat in the running game, uh, he's had a tough time in, in a lot of those situations. So there's still still some ways I think he's definitely evolving as a quarterback. And a lot of that comes from, I think, this is the first time we've seen him go through a full season as a starter, you know, both times. The past two years, he'd kind of taken over as a starter because of injuries uh, during the second half of the season. Now he comes in as the, the unquestioned starter this year, and, and teams have a little bit more of a book on him naturally and, and a, a much more in-depth scouting report on, on some of his tendencies and things that, that maybe give him trouble. And you know, it, So it's kind of interesting that we come full circle to the Alabama game now. It's kind of where his season has started each of his first two years. He made his career t- debut at Alabama in the second half of that game in 2013 comes in last year after a couple series uh, by Nathan Peterman, who started the game and then, uh, you know, leads leads them the rest of the way and, and played pretty well in that game, as you said. Uh, so now to see him, you know, Alabama much will be much better prepared for him than that, I think they were 
the past two years, uh, obviously having seen him start for six games this year in addition to all the film within the past two years. Uh, and I think this game will kind of tell us a lot about where he is in his development. Is Was the Georgia game sort of a case of Georgia not being fully prepared for everything that he can do? Or was that uh, or was that a sign of maybe how far he's come uh, and that he's maybe ready to turn the corner uh, as an overall quarterback? And I think Tennessee's getting a better idea of how to use him, too. I think you know, knowing that when you know the games we've seen him play well, He's been pretty heavily involved in the running game. He's had, you know, he had 18 carries against Georgia uh, for 118 yards and a couple touchdowns. Uh, you know, a lot of his better games have been when he carries the ball more than 10 times and, and in a lot of cases more than 15. So, uh, you know, that's going to take a toll on him over time, but that may be the type of quarterback Josh Dobbs needs to be uh, to be at his most uh, at his peak effectiveness. And so it'll be interesting to see how Tennessee uses him in this game and how he continues to develop as a passer. But he certainly showed some 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 encouraging signs for Tennessee in, in that Georgia game, and we'll see if he's able to follow up on that against Alabama. Ryan, since this is Alabama week, I guess this is as good a time as any to ask this question, even though it happened months ago. But I want to know your opinion on, on the legitimacy uh, of the situation, or was it a staged event when Butch Jones had to send a staff member over to another athletic complex to ask them to stop playing Sweet Home Alabama back in the spring. I I, the, I don't think that was staged. I, I think there there was maybe there were maybe some elements of that that presentation that were that were maybe uh, exaggerated a bit for effect, or that could have been presented in an exaggerated way. But I, I think there was some uh, some some legitimacy to that. Uh, that Butch Jones is the type to worry about uh, details of things like that and. I think that that happened on the day when they had some recruits uh, in town watching from the sideline, and you know his his basic thought was, uh, you know, I'm sure recruits don't go to Alabama and have to deal with hearing Rocky Top. Why are we having Sweet Home Alabama played uh, somewhere near Tennessee's practice field? So uh, it's a, a when you think of it that way, I guess it's sort of a fair fair thought on his part. But yeah, it, it shows the kind of attention to to detail and uh, and, and and maybe. Uh, paranoia a lot of a lot of successful coaches have to, to worry about the details like that but that, that's kind of the way coaches think they're looking for anything that you know helps kind of put their signature stamp on a program so I think there was some legitimacy to that you know and as far as the video they produced and everything you know some of that might have been uh, might have been you know exaggerated for effect but there definitely was some truth I think to, to all that story and how it played out and Ryan of course this is going to be a storyline followed closely in the game, but it's, of course, uh, Alvin Kamara, the running back uh, at Tennessee, who's had a, a pretty nice first season in Knoxville, uh, had, had played an integral part uh, with a couple of touchdown catches against the Georgia Bulldogs. But uh, I know today was a tough day for him. You guys uh, cover, had it all covered at uh, Go Vols 247, but I know uh, he was a sent, uh, he, even though he was only at Alabama a short time, uh, during that time and during the recruiting process, I know he became good friends with Alt Tenpenny, uh, the former uh, running back from Little Rock, Arkansas, who tragically passed away in the wee hours uh, this past this morning uh, in uh, the state of Louisiana. But I know uh, I heard today you guys were interviewing him, and he basically uh, broke down when he found out the news. I know it had to be a tough day for the young man. It, it, it was, and uh, you know he, he had heard the news in the morning, uh, pretty pretty early this morning. It sounded like when he woke up, but. Uh, when, when he was asked about that today during uh, during the press conference, he was uh, you know he, he got out a, a sentence or two before uh, you know definitely having to stop and, and kind of collect himself. It was uh, it was clearly a, an emotional thought for him uh, and clearly someone that he had 
had gotten to know pretty well during his, his brief time at Alabama. He, he said he had just spoken with him yesterday, as a matter of fact, which is, uh, which is you know, crazy to think about. Uh, but with, with, you know, with everything those two guys have been through, they've been at multiple stops since Alabama, each of them. Uh, and then for, for them still to stay in touch, I think, shows you the connection they had there. And it's interesting. A lot, of, a lot was made about the fact that Kamara went to Alabama as part of uh, a pretty talented class that had four really good running backs in it. Uh, but yet they seem to all have a pretty good relationship with each other. Uh, and Alvin Kamara mentioned today he still speaks with all those guys, including Derrick Henry uh, and Tyron Jones. So uh, the fact that you know he, he was still talking with him, I thought was was really interesting. But definitely it was a it was a tough day for him, and obviously uh, just a, just a really sad sad story to to hear that uh, about Alti Tenpenny this morning. And then obviously Alvin, I'm sure this is a game he's had circled on his calendar since he signed with Tennessee a chance to come back and play against his former team. What were his thoughts on matching up against Alabama? Well, well, Alvin's a pro in, in, in handling the handling media and things like that. He's really matured a lot over the past couple of years, and I think it really shows in, in how he conducts himself during uh, during media interviews and things like that. And he's a and, and not to say he was, was not being honest about it, but I, I do think there's obviously some uh, some things you just don't want to say too much publicly. But I think this clearly will be an important game to him. Uh, he, he sort of downplayed that today uh, when we spoke with him, made it, you know, made it sound like he's approaching it like just another week. He did acknowledge that it would be fun going back and being in that atmosphere at Bryant-Denny Stadium. But, you know, the interesting thing to me is he never actually got to play a game there when, when he was at Alabama since he redshirted that year. So it, it will be a little different for, for him, even though he will be returning to a, a very familiar place. But, yeah, I think clearly this is a game he's, he's probably had circled on his calendar for, for quite some time. And, you know, even before he signed Tennessee, he was thinking about the fact that he would – would get to play against Alabama at some point, and uh, I'm sure the fact that he'll be going back there will make it, uh, you know, maybe a little weird in some ways for him, maybe a little more exciting in some ways. But I'm sure he definitely, you know, whether it's feeling like he has something to prove or just wanting to to play well against his former teammates and coaches, I think he'll definitely want to to have a good game Saturday. And uh, you know, for that reason, I think Tennessee would probably be crazy not to get the ball in his hand uh, several times Saturday just to see if if maybe he's uh, a little more amped up than usual and maybe a little more productive than usual. Ryan, Alabama has uh, one of the better defenses in the country uh, from an NFL scouting standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, especially the front seven. But the secondary is much better this year than it was last year as well. I say that to ask you, if you're Tennessee offensively, how do you attack this Alabama defense Saturday? That's that's a great question, and especially considering that Tennessee's strength most of the year has been its running game, and that's it's going to be harder for them to open things up with the running game. Uh, against Alabama, you almost have to to kind of throw to open up the run in some cases, and that's that's not been Tennessee's mo offensively this year. Uh, they've really been the team that just leaned heavily on the run. Uh, with Josh Dobbs getting involved in that, so it's not as if you're just handing the ball off every play. But uh, against Florida, one of the one of the games that I thought they had a a pretty good game plan, uh, especially considering Florida's secondary was its strength. Uh, they leaned very heavily on the running game. Josh Dobbs and and Jalen Hurd. Both had good games, and Tennessee ended up with 254 rushing yards against a pretty stout Florida front. Uh, but that game was not a whole lot from the, not, not a whole lot of help in the passing game. So uh, the fact that they were able to do that against Florida, you know, maybe bodes well for them having a chance to have some success in the running game against Alabama. But I don't think you can go in expecting the run game to to be the the focal point of your offense in this game. I think Tennessee, you know, Butch Jones said it today. You can't be one dimensional against Alabama, and most most teams end up being forced to be one-dimensional 
against Alabama, and that's that's kind of when when that defense can be at its best. If teams are forced to throw, they can kind of pin their ears back and come after the quarterback, and that's not a, a situation you want to be in against Alabama. So it, it will be interesting to me to see if Tennessee can get its passing game going well enough to to be uh, a, a truly balanced offense like they need to be probably to be at their at their most at their their peak effectiveness in this game uh and and i'm not sure you know we've seen that just yet from tennessee georgia was certainly the closest we've seen to that uh they, they did throw it a lot more in that game and had some success in the passing game uh but they're definitely gonna have to continue that and you know there's really no great place to attack alabama's defense but you just got to kind of keep them off balance i think and uh do your best to to keep them guessing run pass and and uh and also be good at both areas of the, of the game because you can't be just one dimensional if it's the run game they'll obviously stack up on the line of scrimmage and eventually force you to throw the ball and and uh so i don't think tennessee wants to be in that situation then just a quick follow-up on the other side of the ball i'm sure tennessee fans and coaches and all were glad to see amari cooper go pro can't blame them there's really not an amari cooper on this current alabama team although calvin ridley shows some signs of freshman amari cooper the alabama quarterback is a fifth-year guy but he's a first-year starter uh, he's he's not really all that mobile, although he's tough as nails. So it's a very different Alabama offense than the one that came to Knoxville last year. If you're Tennessee's defensive coordinator, how do you attack the Alabama offense? Well, I, I think you I mean you obviously have to start with finding a way to try to slow down Derrick Henry in that running game, and that's that's the concern for Tennessee. I think is that they've done K job against some some teams in the running game, uh, but they they've been challenged in that area this year and and done just a just an average job really against the run. You know they've they've faced some good running teams already this year, some really good backs, uh, uh, P Ryan for Oklahoma, uh, to to obviously Chubb and and Sony Michelle for for Georgia. Uh, even though they only faced Chubb for one play of that game, uh, Michelle ended up having a good game off the bench, uh, more than 140 yards, I believe. Um, you know, Alex Collins from Arkansas. They face some good backs, and, and all those guys have pretty much had uh, at least some degree of success so far this year against Tennessee. And, you know, they, they've made some progress in recent weeks, I think, with the emergence of Shy Tuttle and Khalil McKenzie, two talented freshmen at defensive tackle. But now Shy Tuttle is out for the year uh, with a broken leg and a torn ligament in his ankle. So uh, that sets them back into their rotation at defensive tackle. So that certainly hurts a bit uh, in addition to that. So I think you, you've got to do what you can to, to load up against the run. But at the same time, uh, you know, as you said, Alabama's still got some weapons in the passing game. And you know, Jacob Coker's a, a perfectly capable quarterback of burning them downfield. And uh, with Calvin Ridley emerging as a, as a potential star already as a true freshman, you know, you've got to keep an eye on him. And so there are other weapons in the passing game. So they're, uh, they're a tough, tough offense to slow down when they're doing what they do well. Uh, they're, they're as good as anybody in Tennessee. He's going to have a hard time. Uh, slowing that down, but it's definitely got to start with the running game because if Alabama doesn't have to throw it a whole lot, uh, they won't they won't necessarily do that. They'll, they're they're happy as you guys know to to continue running the ball when it's working. So I think it's got to start with at least trying to slow down Derrick Henry and keep that run game in check. And then Ryan, finally, uh, obviously uh, this this is still a big game to so many people on both sides, to Alabama and Tennessee. Uh, and I know uh, the Vols are going in the right direction, but you follow this program and team very closely. The talent level, of course, in the last two years, uh, and it's a credit to Bush Jones and his staff, but they've recruited very well. Most of this, this is such a young team, though. Uh, most of their great players are all freshmen and sophomores. Uh, 
you think ultimately that this team is ready to to win a game in Bryant Denny Stadium and make a statement like that, or do you think Tennessee might be one year away? And I know they're putting together another nice recruiting class under Butch Jones, but do you think they need one more recruiting class to get where they truly need to be to compete uh, in the upper half of the SEC consistently? Well, I, yeah, I think they're they're at the level now where they're competitive is how I would explain it. They're they're on the level where clearly they're they're on par with a lot of the teams that they've faced so far. Uh, but I wouldn't say they're they're at Alabama's level just yet. So I, I think that this is going to be a tough game for them to win. Uh, I do think there is more confidence, more belief on Tennessee's end that they can go in there and and play play with Alabama toe to toe for at least a large portion of this game. I think in the past. Uh, certainly the past couple times Tennessee went down there it was more of a hope that they could stay in the game. This time I think there's some genuine beliefs that they're, uh, you know, at least in the same ballpark with Alabama for the first time in a while. Um, you know, whether that's whether that's enough to, to allow them to hang with Alabama for four quarters, I don't know. But, you know, I, I think this is going to be a tough game for Tennessee to win, certainly on the road. Uh, the fact that Tennessee is still banged up on both lines of scrimmage. they got a couple guys on the offensive line, uh, Jay Sean Robertson, Brett Kendrick, who, who might not be able to go Saturday, and that, that certainly would hurt as well. You might have a couple true freshmen in Jack Jones and Chance Hall making their first career starts, and they played in the second half against Georgia, but that could be a big issue. We mentioned the shy Tuttle injury on the defensive line. That's a big blow. Um, so that they've, they've had some injury issues all year long, and that's still going to be an issue in this game. And I think that's the type of thing that shows up in the second half of a game like this against a, a team like Alabama that's got so much depth and talent all across the board. So uh, in the end, I don't think Tennessee has enough to win this game, but uh, I do think there's at least uh, you know reason to believe they can keep this one competitive more so than they've done in the past. And you know maybe next year when Alabama comes to to Neyland Stadium again, maybe by then Tennessee will be ready to to really give Alabama a, a true 60 minute test and 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 maybe have a better chance of pulling off the upset. Just where they are right now, health wise especially, I just don't know if they can do it on the road. Yeah, well said, Ryan. And and, the, and my final question this is I wanted to cover one basketball question. Since it was SEC media days, obviously Alabama was picked today to finish 13th, Tennessee 12th. But both of them made coaching changes and made high-profile hires uh, with Avery Johnson coming into Alabama and, of course, Rick Barnes, who's been many places, Providence, Clemson, and Texas, and won and been to Final Fours. What's his hire been like at Tennessee, and how have the fans accepted him, and what are the expectations uh, for him with this program? Well, it's, it's been a well-received hire, I think, so far, you know, considering what, what he's followed up on with, with how, how the Donnie Tindall era um, ended rather uh, abruptly after one season. You know, that uh, I think that was about as, as, as good of a hire in terms of a big-name coach as Tennessee could have made probably under, under the circumstances. Uh, you know, you didn't have a great roster to go out there and sell to a coach. It's, it's obviously a bit of a, a rebuilding situation to some degree. There's not, a, not even a, a star player. Uh, like they've had the past couple of years with Josh Richardson and guys like that to, to really build around. So it's going to be a transitional year for Tennessee for sure, and that's why you saw them pick 12th in the SEC today. Uh, you know, at the same time, Rick Barnes has, has been adamant to people behind the scenes that there's more talent on this team than there was on, on his first team and a couple of the other stops he's been at. So I don't know if he's quite as down on this team as a lot of people are, but they're certainly not going to be expected to do uh, a whole lot this year, and I think fans will be – uh, mostly understanding of that, but I, I would say the hopes are still pretty high in the long run that Rick Barnes will be able to to get Tennessee at least back competing for you know an NCAA tournament appearance within the next couple of years and and uh, and and really have them back at a at, at more of the level they've they've kind of grown accustomed to, to being at in the, over the past 15 years or so uh, or 10 to 15 years of Bruce Pearl and 
and Conzo Martin and the success they had during their tenures uh, before before both of those guys left. So I think they've certainly uh, got some hope. This is obviously going to be a tough year uh, with just what was left on the roster and how little time Rick Barnes had to, to kind of piece together a signing class there in the spring. Well, great stuff, Ryan. We we really appreciate you joining at Talking Ball. Or excuse me, Talking Ball. You have joined Talking Ball. Uh, but uh, BAM's radio tonight, uh, you know, our listeners – uh, really enjoy always hearing from the other side, and we want to thank you for coming on, taking a few minutes with us during a busy week to preview this Alabama-Tennessee matchup. And, uh, of course, I look forward to having you back on Talking Ball and, of course, here on BAM's radio. We really appreciate the time that I'm in, and have a great rest of your evening. Hey, you too. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ryan. That's Ryan Callahan, everyone, and, and we're going to have a jam-packed show, as Kerry said. We just had Ryan Callahan at Go Vols 247, uh, and now we're going to – we're efforting to reach William Redfish Barger, who's going to be joining us on the program and then the, to end hour one. And then hour number two, Garrett Tucker of uh, Hoopscene.com will be breaking down this huge Alabama commitment of Braxton Key today, the third piece in a top five class that could get even better for Coach Avery Johnson in Alabama. And then, of course, uh, he sponsors our, uh, our, our phone hotline. Big Head Chuck will be coming on himself in person uh, to, to join us at 9.30 to talk about a fundraiser for Kerry Good, who, you know, we're going to have one also December the 8th here in North Alabama and the, at Green Prior and uh, near, uh, just outside of Decatur. We talked about it last week. And, of course, Kerry uh, uh, has also uh, talked about another event uh, for uh, for uh, the aforementioned uh, Kerry Good uh, to raise money for his cause as well. Correct, Kerry? Well, those are the only two I know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am going to come up and help you and Freddie that night. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have some. We're going. To, we're hoping to have Wes Neighbors, Hoss Johnson, uh, William Barger uh, will be joining us. Hopefully, with the great Antonio Langham as well. Should be a star-studded event, and hope to see everyone out there to help raise money for Kerry Good and uh, in, uh, in his cause for ALS. You know, our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. But he's uh, in, in great spirits right now, and and uh, we're going to. And we hope to, everyone will come hear him speak and hear his testimony. It should be some powerful stuff. And as Kerry said. Uh, Big Head Chuck is also doing a uh, fundraiser. Uh, for, really, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, it, 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 is it, it going to be for the rest of the season, Carrie, or is it going to be one event? Oh, uh, one event this Saturday, uh, okay. all day at the BAMS tent. Uh, it's normally Chuck doesn't charge for the barbecue. Right. We are asking for each person who participates to give a ten dollar donation toward their plate this week. And uh, every penny of that will go to Kerry Good in his fight with ALS, and we're hoping Kerry will be able to come by the tent. Uh, for several years, he and his brothers uh, and a number of other ex-players had a tent right by the BAMS tent, but things have been moved around a little bit in, in front of more in little halls. And, of course, uh, SEC weekend, whatever they call it, SEC Now is going to be there. Uh, SEC Nation, whatever they call it, with Feinbaum and all them guys, they're going to be there Saturday. So, We'll probably be moved again, but we will be located in the BAMS radio tent, which is very hard to miss. It's kind of houndstooth and red and white. And uh, Big Head Chuck, who does sponsor our call-in hotline, check out Big Head's Barbecue on the web at bigheadsbbq.net. We'll be there, and uh, they're going to get there and and set up everything around 10, and they'll be going all the way up to at least 2, 2 215. And I don't think he's going to keep doing it after the game uh, if I hear different. Well, we'll ask him that when he comes on in an hour he's going to call the show at 9 30 central and give us more details but uh we are asking for a ten dollar donation per plate this saturday if you come enjoy some great big heads barbecue better get there early before he runs out of the triple threat though which is a piece of pork 
with sausage in the middle wrapped in bacon, and you could choose to either drizzle it with his great homemade sauce or eat it as is. It's good both ways. But a lot of other stuff, too. You know, he's got pork and chicken and ribs and, you know, great side items like potato salad and slaw and uh, baked beans. And He'll talk about all that in an hour. But for now, uh, before we go on to our next guest, William Redfish Barger, we need to go ahead and take a break. But you're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMA Sports Radio family. SeatGeek is an iOS or Android app, which you can use to find tickets to Alabama games. With multiple big games looming, SeatGeek is the place to go for deals for any game that piques your interest. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. When you're ready to buy tickets, snag a deal on your phone with just two taps on your app. There really is no better way to find Alabama football tickets. It finds these tickets with a technology called Deal Score. Deal Score calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether that's a good deal or a bad deal. Like we always say here on 2D Zone, if it's green, it's good, and if it's red, it's dead. Use promo code BAMA to get a $20 rebate off your first purchase. To redeem this promo code, download the free SeatGeek app on your iOS or Android device and enter promo code BAMA in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you have made your purchase. Be sure to download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BAMA today. The SeatGeek app is your ticket to Alabama football. Welcome back to BAMS Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BAMAMag.com, a member of the Scout.com family. And, of course, BAMS Radio is a member of the BAMA Sports Radio family. And I'm joined, as always, by Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine and Drew Yarman of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. But we're also joined now, Drew, by a great friend of this show, and I will let you bring him on. Absolutely. You know, we're honored once again to be joined by what I consider one of the preeminent insiders of Alabama football and, of course, a former Alabama football, uh, letterman and, and the starter all Southeastern Conference as a freshman who played uh, for his career from – 80, uh, from 89 through 93 for the Crimson Tide is an offensive lineman. William Redfish Barger has a 92 national championship ring. William, how are you doing again this evening, sir? I'm doing great, guys. How about y'all? Doing well, man. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time tonight to join us for a few minutes to kind of take a look at this Tennessee matchup and look back at Texas A&M. And I, uh, I, this, is, this team, I, you know, I know there was some angst early in the season uh, you know, William, but I'm really excited with where this team is going, especially defensively and especially with the improvement in the secondary since uh, the old Miss game. It's just been drastic and been really impressed with the job that Mel Tucker's done. Yeah, I have too, and it's it's been kind of a interesting experience for me, you know, being a, a you know, a former offensive lineman in college and a linebacker and, and defensive end in high school. Um you know, I spend most of my time, you know, watching the, the line of scrimmage, at least in the past. And, uh, you know, I've had to go back um, probably since the old Miss game and, and watch the replay of the games, you know, two and three times to get a feel for what's going on with the front seven on defense because I'm having so much fun watching these young kids in the secondary make play after play. And like you said, you know, getting better every week. You know, look at the – 
the improvement that, that Marlon Humphreys made since the beginning of the season. Um, you know, Ronnie Harrison, uh, I was looking at a film cut up today from the Texas A&M game, and on one drive he made three straight plays on first, second, and third down to stop the drive. Um, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick has probably been uh, what I would consider the, the prototypical five-star recruit. Um, you know, I've always had the belief that if you're labeled a five-star, you know, in high school, um, that's a trigger that should say that you should either compete for a starting job or serious playing time right out of the gate. And, you know, we've all seen what Mink has done. Uh, you know, going all the way back to fall camp, that first scrimmage uh, when he was so dominant was, you know, kind of a you know foreshadowing of things to come in the season. But, you know, it, it's really fun, um, you know, to see him, you know, to see Kirby over there on the sideline. Um, you know, really enjoying stuff. You know, I don't think you can say enough good things about Mel Tucker. Um, you know, I heard early on back in the spring from, you know, some of my sources close to the team that, you know, not only did he had a big impact on the DBs, but that he was kind of a, a rallying point and a central figure uh, for all the players on the team. You know, he brought fresh ideas, um, you know, kind of a different approach to coaching. Um, you know, certainly a guy that, that has an easy time relating to the players, both on and off the field. And I think what you're seeing right now is, is a team that, you know, because of the uncertainty at the quarterback spot, uh, you know, going into the season back back before the Wisconsin game, um, you're seeing a team that's just now, I think, starting to find its identity. Um, you know, it's not perfect. There's still mistakes. There's still stuff that can get better. Um, you know, mistakes and, and schematic stuff along the offensive line. Certainly the special teams has nowhere to go but up. Uh, but it's just a fun team to watch. You can tell that, you know, they really care about each other. They work hard. Uh, I, I think you can just tell by Nick Saban's body language that he really likes this team. And, you know, it's been really the, the, the funnest team for me to watch. Um, you know, of the Nick Saban era, they just play with a lot of passion, um, a lot of intensity. You know, watching Reggie Ragland, Green Roop, and Foster. Um, you know, watching Tim Tim Williams uh, rush the passer. Um, it's just been really fun for me as a, as a former player and and you know a guy that really enjoys college football. I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, you know the season up to this point. And then I got to follow up with my. And I know this is, you know, kind of speculation, and I talked about it at the start of this program, but with the impact that he's made and and what he's done as a coach, and then you know his background being a a defensive coordinator three times in the NFL with Jacksonville and and Chicago and Cleveland, if Kirby Smart ultimately finally takes the head coaching opportunity that, you know, everyone has thought he would take, uh, but just much earlier, but if he finally takes that plunge this year, I know there's been a lot of speculation about Jeremy Pruitt, but could you see Mel Tucker being elevated as a defensive coordinator? If you'd asked me this question, you know, the week before the Wisconsin game, I'd have told you that, you know, the two leading candidates would have been Todd Grantham one and Jeremy Pruitt two. But based on what I've seen, and, you know, Nick Saban sees a lot more than we do, um, you know, if Kirby takes the South Carolina job, which I think right now he is the leading candidate for it, um, I would be shocked if Mel Tucker's not promoted to D.C. and, uh, you know, they don't go out and try and find a, you know, a young up-and-coming, you know, linebackers coach kind of in the, the Tosh LaPoy mode. 
William, uh, I'm, since you're going to follow up, I'm going to do a two-parter. But really, it's just two questions about two different ball games because when you played, you were involved in some epic Alabama-Tennessee games. Uh, you could make a case for all five of them. I'm just going to ask you about two. Uh, the first one I want you to talk about, and I'll just tell you in order, is the one in 1990 that had the amazing ending with Philip Doyle. And the second I want you to talk about was the only time in my life and you may disagree with this, but the only time in my life, William, that I walked out of a stadium after a tie feeling like we had won, and that's the 93 game. But share us your memories about the 90 and 93 Bama-Tennessee games. Yeah, you know, the 90 game obviously is the one that sticks out the most to me because, you know, that was such a tumultuous season for us as players. You know, Coach Stallings came in and you know, especially on the offensive side of the football, we we went from being a, a West Coast offense under Homer Smith, and you know, Coach Stallings came in and you know wanted us to be Nebraska, um, and it's kind of hard to be Nebraska when you average two sixty five across the offensive line. Um, so you know, and then in that first game against Southern Miss, you know, you lose Saran Stacy, and then you know the next week it's Craig Sanderson, and then the next week it's Prince Wembley, and all of a sudden you're you know, your top three weapons on offense are gone. And, uh, you know, thank God there wasn't, you know, Twitter and social media back then. But I can remember, you know, reading the Tuscaloosa News and listening to Paul Feinbaum. And, you know, the Alabama fan base was calling for Coach Stallings' head after those first three games. And well, don't you know, forget we what up, Lee Corsell said about y'all, William. Well, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to get on Lee here in a minute. And, uh, you know, we go up to Knoxville and – you know, leading up to that, uh, you know, good old Lee went on ESPN the night before and said not only did he not give us a chance to beat Tennessee, he didn't think we could beat Berwick, Pennsylvania, which was the number one high school team in the country that year. Uh, several years later, that's the school that produced Ron Palace, the, the quarterback at Notre Dame. Um, and I didn't realize uh, what a long memory Coach Stallings had at that time, but we'll get to that 12 months later. Um, I can remember, you know, going out onto the field in warm-ups and, and walking up to LeBaron Carruthers, the strength and conditioning coach, and saying, how come we don't look like that? You know, every one of their offensive linemen were 6'4", 300. Um, you know, they had probably – you know, that was probably, uh, what, 25 years or, or 24 years prior to the, the 09 uh, LSU-Alabama game, I would love to have somebody go back and do a count on the number of players that signed NFL contracts off of those two teams. And obviously it was slanted toward Tennessee's favor. Um, but, you know, the longer that game went on, you know, the, the, the more that we hung in there, um, you know, I felt like the Phillip Doyle's, you know, one of the best uh, college place kickers I've ever seen, not just at Alabama, but in college football, period. Um, you know, I felt like we were going to have a chance at the end of the game. Now, did I think we were going to block a field goal and have it turn out the way that it did? Obviously not. But but the best thing that came out of that game was the next year um, when we were getting ready to play um, Tennessee at Legion Field. And back then, you know, we always had an off week prior to Tennessee and an off week prior to Auburn. Uh, Lee Corso and his ESPN film crew shows up uh, to do some, you know, pregame stuff. And I can't really say on the show what exactly Coach Stallings said to Lee, um, but he was kicked out of practice um, and told that he was not welcome. 
um, which just goes to show you, you know, the the tough mindset that Coach Stallings had. Uh, that 93 game, um, you know, the, the 93 season reminds me so much of the 2010 season for Alabama. Um, we had just injury after injury. Um, you know, Jay Barker missed a lot of time that year. Uh, you know, David Palmer was hurt. Um, you know, certainly with the departure of, of Eric Curry and John Copeland, the defensive line was a little bit, um, you know, less talented than the year before. But we were still a very, very good football team. Uh, and that's just a classic year of you get a little bit of injuries, the balls don't bounce the uh, the right way. Um, but, you know, one thing I don't think a lot of people realize, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, credit, you know, uh, Houston Nutt for inventing the Wildcat in college football in 2004 or 5, 6, whenever it was, with Darren McFadden. Go back and watch some games from 1993 with David Palmer in the Wildcat. Um, but, you know, that was, you know, carried back in the day where, you know, that rivalry um, between Alabama and Tennessee was, was epic. In fact, I really felt like um, as a player on the team that there was more emphasis, especially after beating Auburn, um, in 1990 and, and the shift in the state kind of coming back to Tuscaloosa, I felt like the coaching staff placed more of an emphasis on the Tennessee game. Um, you know, Coach Dubos used to, you know, when Coach Stallings was there, each coach was responsible on Monday for standing up and kind of giving a broad strokes game plan um, and a scouting report of the upcoming opponent. And Dubos always did the Tennessee game. And, you know, he had this speech that when he was done, you, you were ready to run through a brick wall, you know, where, where he told some Coach Bryant stories and, you know, basically said, you know, fellas, this is a game where you don't have to ask me how you played. You don't have to ask Coach Stallings how you played. When your daddy comes up to shake your hand after the game and you, you look into his eyes, your daddy's going to tell you whether he's proud of you or not. And uh, that that's kind of where that rivalry was. And I think it continued – um, you know, up until the, the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, when Alabama got hit by the probation and, you know, Fulmer kind of took control of it. But, you know, it, it's gone the uh, the other way in Alabama's favor in a big way since then. Quick follow-up, just to let you know, William, and this, this may or may not have been around the same time that Coach Dollins kicked Corso out of practice, but about a year after that, that Tennessee game, if you'll recall, Corso's theme in 90 was Alabama couldn't beat a high school team. Well, his theme in 91 was Alabama's the worst one-loss team in the country. Every week he'd be Alabama's the worst 4-1, Alabama's the worst 5-1, Alabama's the worst 6-1. Well, around three-fourths of the way through the season or so, William, I was living in Atlanta at the time, and Coach Stallings came over to speak to the Atlanta Touchdown Club, of which I was not a member but all Alabama alumni were invited to help them fill the room that day for Coach Stallings. So somebody asked him, Coach, so what do you think about this deal with Lee Corso saying y'all are the worst, we'll say, 7-1 team in the country and it changes every week? And his his response was classic, William. You would have loved it. He said something. I'm not going to try to imitate him because I'm only okay at imitating him. But he said something along the lines of, well, based on his record in Indiana, he ought to lot, Corso ought to know a whole lot about what being the worst is like. And the room just died. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, Gary, I mean, people else, that won, Alabama fans were laughing. Well, and something you know, else, too, when you were asking me, when you were asking me about the 93 game, you just jarred my memory by saying that about Coach Stallings in Atlanta. Um, 
and I can't remember all the details, but, you know, Coach Stallings came into the team meeting Friday night before the 93 game and, and basically insinuated that, that Phil Fulmer had back-channeled, you know, hey, man, Johnny Majors is a friend of mine. He's laid up in the hospital after having a heart attack. And I can't say, you know, what Coach Stallings called Phil Fulmer, but, you know, Phil Fulmer's over there at the, the hotel, you know, working the back channels with the boosters, trying to stab his boss in the back and get the head coaching job. And, uh, you know, Coach Stallings is a person that, you know, you never had to ask him a question. He was black and white, very blunt. And needless to say, he did not have a lot of respect for Phil Fulmer um, with the way he went about being, you know, the interim head coach while Johnny Majors was laid up in the hospital after having a minor heart attack. And I don't blame Coach Stallings at all, William, but going back to what could happen in this game, uh, I noticed that they've they've continued to say Ryan Kelly was in black and uh, was still going through the concussion protocol. I guess my two-part question to you is, A, do you think he'll play this week? And if not, of course, we know J.C. Hasnauer is getting the reps and will play in the game. I know there was some consternation about how he performed in the game last week. I thought it was a little bit overblown. I thought at times he did some good things. And and it it did remind me of Bradley Bozeman against Ole Miss last year. And we remember what happened when Bradley had a full week of practice. He played uh, much better against Texas A&M. I still think – you know, J.C. could do the job if need be Saturday. But I guess uh, you're, you're, the first part is, do you think uh, – do your sources think that uh, Ryan will play? And if not, uh, what do you – just kind of talk about how Hassanauer played. And, and, and I know you were high on him as a prospect. And what do you, with a whole week of practice under his belt, you played inside on the interior offensive line. How do you see him performing on Saturday against uh, Tennessee? Well, you know, I think – what you saw Saturday from J.C. Hassenauer, clearly the same thing that you've seen, you know, all year long from uh, Pierce Baker. Um, for a first-year, you know, redshirt freshman starter, he, he's done pretty well. Um, it's just when he has made mistakes, they've been glaring mistakes. Um, and I think you could say the same thing for, for Hassenauer's performance. Um, and I think, you know, you have to put this into perspective. Um, when he, and you saw this last year, you've already touched on it with Bozeman um, and Ole Miss when Kelly went out with the knee injury. You know, it's it's problematic enough when a starting offensive lineman goes out in the middle of a game and a backup has to come in. When it's the starting center, it's magnified tenfold. And, uh, you know, I think that kind of manifested itself um, – you know, I, I think he did do pretty well. If you look at his whole body of work, um, you know, the casual fan will sit there and say, well, you know, he got dumped in, in Jay Coker's lap on the handoff. And, you know, Dale and Mack, you know, handed him his lunch pail. Um, and those things are all true. But if you look at the whole body of work, I think the best way that you could describe it is he survived. And, uh, you know, I, I expect Ryan Kelly to play this weekend. You've already touched on the, you know, the concussion protocol. Um, you know, he practiced today, you know, in, in non-contact situations. And, you know, he's a, you know, a fifth-year senior. Um, you know, this goes on at every program in the country, especially with veteran players. You know, as long as they get the mental reps, um, you know, during the week, the physical part of it will take care of itself on Saturday. Um, 
you know, I think the the one thing that has intrigued me, um, going all the way back to the first scrimmage until this past weekend, you know, is what has happened with Bradley Bozeman. Um, you know, filled in admirably last year for Kelly in his absence during his knee injury, uh, you know, played at a high level, um, you know, in a couple of those games, you know, was the starter at right guard, you know, out of the gate spring practice up until the second scrimmage of August. And, you know, he hasn't seen the field, you know, except in mop-up duty this year. So I think that's a, you know, an interesting component, um, you know, along the offensive line. And, you know, I personally will admit that, you know, I, I expected a little bit more out of this offensive line. Um, but, you know, you have to look at the current circumstances. You know, Cameron Robinson's got a bum ankle and a bum shoulder. Um, you know, Hassenauer's been up and down. Um, I think more up than down. He's Like we talked about, his, you know, his downs have been kind of glaring. Um, you know, at times when he makes a mistake, he makes it, you know, to the fullest degree. But but the biggest thing that, that I've been disappointed in is I thought after five years in the strength program and finally getting over 300 pounds, I did not – I expected Ryan Kelly to be better at the point of attack against powerful nose guards and defensive tackles. And, and he's still getting overwhelmed. Um, by those type of players. You know, he's probably the best center in the country um, at getting to the second level and put a, putting a hat on a linebacker. Um, but, but he still struggles if you stick a guy like a Dalen Mack over him. Um, you know, that's just not what he's good at. Um, Alphonse Taylor, um, you know, has, has gotten better, I think, as the season's gone on. Um, I think Dominic Jackson has done a hell of a job at right tackle. Um I think if they had somebody else besides DJ play at right tackle, he could be an All-American at left guard or right guard, but they don't have anybody else that they feel comfortable putting out there. So, you know, all the stuff that you see on the message boards, you know, week after week, you know, Mario Cristobal needs to be fired, the offensive line this, the offensive line that. You know, this is the this is the, the truth. Um, you know, they've only given up eight sacks. You know, after after the midpoint of the season, um, that they held the best defensive end in college football to one sack last weekend. Uh, Derrick Henry's second in the conference in rushing. Jay Coker's fifth in the conference in passing. You can't get those type of numbers without decent offensive line. All right, William. Well, last question for me will be this: uh, How would you uh, assess? the improvement as a leader, as a quarterback, as a passer, anything you want to talk about, of Jake Coker from the Wisconsin to now? Well, can I hit the rewind button back to August? Uh, When I got up and left the scrimmage scrimmage after an hour, because not only was Jake Coker um, god-awful, but the other four quarterbacks were as well. Um, He won me over. Uh, as as the leader of this offense against Ole Miss, I'll go to my grave saying that if they had started him and not Cooper Bateman, they would have won the Ole Miss game even with the five turnovers. Uh, I thought he had his, uh, you know, thumb his nose at his detractors moment against Georgia. Uh, But watching him Saturday, 
Um, you know, the best way I can describe him is, is he's just salty. Um, he reminds me a lot of a guy that I played with as a true freshman, Jeff Dunn. Um, just fearless, um, you know, give me my opportunity. You may not like the ingredients that go into the result, but you're going to like the end result. Um, you know, he's, you know, a guy that everybody in, in college football from a media standpoint, you know, predicted to be the worst starter in the SEC at the quarterback position. Um, he's proven those guys wrong. He proved me wrong. And I've become one of his biggest fans. Um, you know, watching him lower his shoulder and run over a DB. Uh, you know, I wish Lane Kiffin would come up with some type of, uh, you know, Tebow-type stuff for him to do. Um, you know, and that's probably, to me, the, the, the lone, you know, kind of bad taste in my mouth that I have about the team from an offensive standpoint is I still don't think Lane Kiffin, other than Wisconsin and Georgia, I really don't think he's come up on, with a consistent game plan, you know, to accentuate Jake's strengths. Um, you know, I catch Lane all the time, and I don't necessarily blame him, uh, but you, you catch him at times trying to pretend like Calvin Ridley is Amari Cooper and, and using him as a chess piece in that aspect. Uh, but I can't say enough good things about Jake Coker. Um, uh, you know, you can tell when the camera flashes over onto the sideline, whether it's been a good play or a bad play, that it's important to him and it means something to him. And as long as I see that kind of emotion out of him, I want him in my huddle every day. And then finally, William, and I completely agree. He's won me over as well, and he's a gritty competitor. And uh, and I think he's definitely won the team over, especially since Ole Miss. And let's not forget he had the flu in that game. But your overall thoughts on this matchup with Tennessee, and I know you like Alabama in the game. To me, I still think Tennessee is at least a year away, and it's a bad matchup in the games one in the, on the line of scrimmage. And I think Alabama has a big advantage both ways. Yeah, you know, I think if you go back into to August, um, you know, there were some lofty expectations for this Tennessee team. And, you know, since fall camp and the season has kind of unfolded, you know, they've kind of gotten decimated along the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, in Butch Jones' press conference on Monday, there's still two offensive line positions that were unsettled. And, you know, they didn't know who the starters were going to be. You know, their, their second best – player on defense, uh, Carl Maggett, the defensive end opposite of uh, Barnett, was lost for the year. Um, you know, I don't know whether it's been, you know, injuries or um, lack of motivation, so to speak, but, you know, Shy Tuttle and, and Teal McKenzie have not lived up to expectations up to this point. You know, it's still up in the air whether Tuttle is going to be available for the game. Um, I think, to me, uh, it all comes down to um, you know, stopping Josh Dobbs on third down. Uh, that's where he does most of his damage, um, you know, when the pocket breaks down, because he's not a very good passer. Um, I think he's 10th or 11th in the league um, as, as a you know, passing quarterback. But he can do a lot of damage with his legs. And, uh, you know, I'm not Nick Saban, I'm not Kirby Smart, but if it were me, uh, on every third down, I would have Rashawn Evans lined up next to Reggie Ragland and have him spy on Joshua Dobbs because nine times out of ten, especially with the way Alabama's secondary 
um, has been covering wide receivers. If they can cover what they had thrown against them last week against Texas A&M, they shouldn't have a lot of problems covering Tennessee's receivers. And, you know, I've kind of heard through the grapevine that, you know, they've got some packages where, you know, Jalen Hurd lines up into the wildcat and throws some screen passes to Josh Dobbs, some of the, the looks that they've been working on during their off week. I think it's going to come down to, you know, I know the LSU fans used to have the saying, you know, third and Chavis. Um, I think this game Saturday is going to come down to third and Dobbs, uh, whether or not Kirby Smart and that defense can keep him under wraps because he did do some damage last year uh, with his legs versus this defense. And I know they didn't have film and, you know, didn't have a chance to game plan for him. Um, but that's going to be the, the only way that I see this Tennessee team um, doing damage against Alabama's defense, you know, barring unforeseen turnovers and, you know, free plays, is, is Joshua Dobbs extending plays on third down with his legs. Oh, well, I agreed with him, no doubt. And Shy Tuttle is out for the year, so another uh, 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 advantage for the Tide and disadvantage uh, for Tennessee is they will be even thinner on the defensive line. But we want to thank you for taking the time to join us now. Our listeners always love the insight and analysis and uh, we thank you for uh, joining BAM. And I know we'll be talking with you again soon, but appreciate all the time tonight, William, and have a great rest of your evening. Hey, guys. Thank you. I enjoyed it as usual. Thank you, William. That's William Redfish Barger, everyone. Uh, Big time insider, connected former player for the University of Alabama with his insight as far as his take on Alabama, Texas A&M, and then, of course, on Alabama, Tennessee. Some great memories from him as a player as well. And we're halfway home on this edition of BAMS Radio. So we're going to take a, our midpoint break. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family.
Do you love books, but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. At the gym, during your commute, Audible.com provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, as well as business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPads, Android devices, and Windows phones. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. So you can access your books anytime and anywhere, right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the Great Listen Guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you weren't happy with for another title, anytime, no questions asked. If you know about me, all the stuff I do with Two Deep Zone and BAMS Radio, as well as being a full-time graduate student, I'm a busy guy. Audible.com lets me grab a book and listen on the go where I'm commuting to and from class or in between classes. And just today, if you go to audible.com slash Bama, you get a free trial. Welcome back to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMA Sports Radio family. If you're listening live, it is nine minutes after the hour, wherever you are. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BAMAMag.com, joined as always by Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine and Trudy Armand of ESPN 97.7 The Zone. Well, Drew, uh, we're going to talk a little basketball now, uh, even while Thomas works on our next guest, who will talk about a big commitment today. Let's go ahead and talk about what we know about the team as things stand. I'm guessing that Rhett Nabossahan must have had a lab or a test or a mandatory class because he did not go to Charlotte today with Coach Avery and the rest of the UA media relations folks. Instead, he took Shannon Hale and Jimmy Taylor. But to me, that speaks well of perhaps a maturing Shannon Hale, Drew. Uh, No doubt about that. I mean, Hopefully Shannon is finally healthy. He's had a lot of those issues. We've all thought Shannon had a lot of talent. Uh, he really showcased it quite a bit the second half of his freshman year and then had an up-and-down sophomore year. There was a lot of speculation about him, uh, you know, transferring. And I know many had it to NC State to play for Mark Godfrey. But I think that was one of the things Avery Johnson did. One of the his first victories was to get Shannon Hill back on the team and I still think he has the ability to be an all-Southeastern Conference-type performer. And if he can get healthy along with Michael Kessens, I think both those guys, if they can show the improvement uh, that their skill level has uh, has portended at times, I think the Alabama team could be uh, better than once thought. I still think the ceiling is probably the NIT, uh, but we will see. But I, I just, you know, I'm excited to see how Shannon Hill and really Riley Norris as well can do when they're actually coached on offense and can actually be developed as players because the, one of the, uh, the the trademarks of the Anthony Grant era, in my opinion, was not just lazy recruiting and poor evaluating, but I just felt like overall when they did sign a talented player, they were underdeveloped. It's an interesting rumor that's making the rounds. I'm not sure how true it is, but based on who's involved, I believe it. Uh, We all know that Kobe Eubanks, a four-star guard that didn't qualify in time to be admitted to Alabama for the start of the fall semester, apparently has now gotten himself qualified and 
It would appear that our good friend Rick Stansberry has reached out to him about enrolling at Texas A&M in January. Yes, he has. Uh, they offered him just in the last few days. They want to try to get him to visit. But Kobe Eubanks does not look like he will end up at the University of Alabama, but he has some options. Baylor and Scott Drew have, again, started pursuing him and also Georgetown. Uh, he will end up at a high-major university. It would just be interesting to see where that is. But Kobe Eubanks is a great young man. It's just it's sad that it didn't work out at the University of Alabama, but uh, he's he's still going to have many excellent options. And we have our next guest available on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check him out on the web at bigheadsbbq.net. And Drew, I'll let you go ahead and bring him on. Absolutely. You know, we've been working to get this guy. And he's in high demand. He's been on my show many times on Talking Ball. We've been trying to get him on BAMS radio, and we're honored to be able to, for him to join us tonight. Uh, he's based out of Huntsville, Alabama, here in the Rocket City with myself. Uh, you can find him on uh, Twitter at G Tucker Hoops, but he has his own skills academy. And he's also a contributor and writer to HoopScene.com out of Atlanta, Georgia, which is a very, very good uh, recruiting and scout service. Uh, and I know he spoke uh, with Braxton Key today and after his commitment to Alabama. And i got to give him a lot of credit, and I did on Twitter. He told me about a month ago that it was looking very good that Braxton Key would end up uh, signing with the University of Alabama. And uh, we're going to bring on now Garrett Tucker. Garrett, how are you doing tonight, man? Oh, doing pretty well, Drew. How about yourself? Doing well, man. And I guess, first of all, for the listeners that may not have seen the story that you put up on HoopScene.com, I know you you guys spoke to uh, Braxton Key, and I know he's very excited. He committed to Alabama officially today at 11 a.m., but just kind of talk about uh, what he said and and, and just his overall mood now that he's chosen to kind of be a trendsetter and try to turn the program around at Alabama. Uh, yeah, well, um, actually, uh, my colleague, uh, Corey Evans, he, he spoke with him uh, before he made an okay. announcement today or whatever, and too. but, um, you know, Corey re- reiterated to me a lot, you know, just the relationship that Braxton has with Alabama staff and not just Avery Johnson. Uh, I mean, he really singled out every coach, uh, Avery Johnson, Scott Postickle, Antoine Petway, and Bob Simon. And, um, you know, Bob Simon, he was really the point man on him. Um, when Simon was at Providence, um, he was really on Braxton when he was at CPA in Nashville. So um, the co- his relationship with the coaching staff really was, you know, the main factor for everything and also the proximity um, to home, Nashville, um, to Tuscaloosa. Well, that's probably about two, two and a half, three hours probably. Um, So, you know, that that definitely helped, but definitely the relationship he had. And also um, a big player in this um, was Terrence Ferguson. Um, You know, once Alabama got Terrence Ferguson, uh, that really opened some doors and everything for uh, Avery Johnson recruiting class. And I think, uh, you know, it's starting to show and pay dividends. Yeah, and and, and I was going to say, I knew he he had known Bob Simon since he was in eighth grade and – yeah, I did see uh, – that's right, Corey Evans of Hoop Scene. You guys have a lot of excellent contributing writers had spoken with him. And I know you've been texting with Braxton, and I know you felt like after Alabama's official visit uh, that Alabama had made a big move. And a lot of people were expecting the hometown Vanderbilt to be the leader, but you told me it was more Alabama and Texas and Vanderbilt. And is that really how it turned out? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, and I, I forgot to mention this too. I actually swapped texts with Braxton about an hour ago. Uh, he's had a busy day, but yeah, just he was he was very excited and everything. I gave him a roll tide and everything, but he's ecstatic about it and all. But yeah, um, 
you know, it came down to really um, Alabama. And I think Texas um, would probably have been ahead of Vanderbilt. I don't know um, if Braxton will come out and say that. But that's just my opinion. Um, I thought Shaka Smart did a really good job uh, recruiting him as well. Um, He was one of the first kids whenever Shaka got the job at Texas that, um, you know, when he went and saw. So, I mean, Shaka Smart definitely made him a priority and everything. And they had a great relationship. But um, definitely, I think, having Bob Simon, um, he had the roots for so long, connected to, you know, Braxton's family and everything. So that's definitely – you know, I, just the relationship with every with everything. Um, Coach Cutway had a great relationship with Braxton's mom and everything. So, um, and really, you know, in the end, um, you know, that was the one they had to make sure was okay with everything. Um, you know, her baby's going to a college campus for four years, and um, they sold her on the fact of coming to Alabama and everything. So, kudos to really everybody: Simon, uh, Petway, Popsicle, and Avery Johnson. Well, Gary, this is Gary. I'm glad we did finally get you on BAMS, and we're tickled to have you. I have to ask you, uh, if you could, kind of describe to us uh, Braxton's game. Uh, to me, looking at highlights, it's a lot of dunks and a few threes. But is he a guy that can play the three as well as the, the stretch four? Because I think that he's going to be needed to play both in Tuscaloosa. Right, yeah. Um, I really um... – what, what, how I've evaluated him, I think he's going to be a face-up four-man um, that can play the three a little bit, kind of a combo forward. And uh, with all combo guys, unless, you know, there's something really different about a kid, you know, all combo guys, I think, really get fours, the main thing. But, um, you know, it's just another versatile guy for Avery Johnson. And that's one thing in this class. Um, you know, right now they're all wings and forwards, um, and they're all about you know six five, six six, six seven. So, um, so that's that's the big thing with this class. Very versatile, and um, Braxton may be the most versatile out of the three so far. Um, you know, I, I think he'll be a mismatch problem, and uh, you know he can rebound it, take the ball that went full length to the court, and finish at the rim, or get somebody like Terrence Ferguson or Dazon Ingram, Brandon Austin, you know, just an open shot or something. So there's a lot of different things that um, you can do with Braxton. Um, for so long, I've considered uh, compared him to Michael Kick Gilchrist, and not necessarily the same game. Um, he's not athletic, not as feisty as Michael Kick Gilchrist, I would say, but they kind of fill the same role. Um, both can play both forward spots and everything. So he's kind of like a utility guy, I would say. Um, and he's going to be that glue guy. And biggest thing is he's a winner, too. So uh, that's going to be go a long way in helping Avery Johnson uh, build his program and everything. Well, and, it, and it's three huge pieces now, Garrett. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you've got uh, now Braxton Key in place, Armand Davis, and then, of course, Terrence Ferguson. And I guess for our listeners who have not, uh, you know, you heard you before on my program on Talking Ball, talk about the other two guys and, and their skill set that they bring. The key, but the thing I like about all of them is they're all long and athletic. And uh, Alabama right now with the way their team is constituted, Shannon Hill is a pretty good shooter. And then, of course, we I think Riley Norris will get much better and Brandon Austin. But, Still, Redno Basahan is more of a slasher. They don't have a lot of perimeter shooting, at least a ton of guys on the team. I think that's what one thing that uh, Avery Johnson spokes in on. But kind of just talk about the skill set of the other two guys, Terrence Ferguson, who may be the best shooter 
in the 2016 class, and then, of course, Armand Davis. Right, yeah. Um, Drew, I know I've told you and I've said on your show um, a lot that Terrence Ferguson, he's one of my favorite kids um, to watch in this 2016 class. And for those that don't know, this 2016 class is really loaded. Um, I think... Uh, depending on which website, Rival Scout, uh, ESPN, two four seven, the number of five stars to differentiate. But I think there's close to thirty five stars. Usually in a general class, you probably have you know fifteen to twenty five stars. So um, Terrence Ferguson, he's sitting sitting somewhere around ten to fifteen. So that really speaks to his elite status. Um, you know, in this good of a class, you know, probably next the next year or in the previous class, he may be a top five top guy. But um, you know, I've always said, um, you know, he could he would fit in with the Warriors um, right now, who just won the NBA title last year. Um, you know, shoots it gets up and down, um, and if you've seen his highlight videos, he can throw down some nasty dunks too. He'll be a highlight reel. But really, his shooting is what really uh, sets him apart from everybody else, um, and not necessarily just you know setting up and shooting with his um, face in the basket and everything. I mean, he knows how to get open, knows how to come off screens and shoot off the dribble and shoot, you know, getting around screens and you know just really finding his shot and everything. So that's the that's the main thing. He's really going to be able to put up some points at Alabama, I think, and really you know be exciting and. Uh, Armand Davis, he's kind of the same way. He's probably not as an explosive as a scorer as uh, Ferguson is, but he knows how to score. Really, uh, he can shoot the ball and has a little bit of bounce to him. Uh, a lot of people, I think, are going to underestimate his athleticism, and that's really going to help him once he uh, enters the SEC and everything. But, I mean, this is one of the top JUCO kids in the country who, uh, you know, plays at one of the top JUCO programs at College of Southern Iowa, Idaho. So, I mean, um, they definitely have the pedigree, um, and the rankings will tell you that that they're they're definitely good and all. So, but that's definitely the rundown. Just a lot of shooting and scoring for those two, and uh, Blackwell will be the utility guy that helps you know get them some shots and everything. Well, I guess the next thing we got to ask you about: what are the chances realistically? Now, I'm going to ask you about a signature, but what are the chances realistically that Marcus Bolden visits Alabama? Um, I know once uh, after he took his unofficial visit, he said he was going to take another official visit to Alabama. Um, since then, you know, nothing's really been said about it. Um, I know he is. He came out today and announced he's going to visit Oklahoma this weekend for an official visit. That'll be his fourth one. So he'll have another official left. Um, already visited Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke. Um, a lot of people think those three schools are the team, the teams to beat. And I, I'll agree there. Um, as far as an, another visit, I'm not sure. Um, I've always said that, you know, I thought that Kansas was in the front, uh, the driver's seat and everything, and I always thought it would be a long shot for Alabama to land him. But then again, um, you know, I think whenever Avery Johnson's first recruited, Terrence Ferguson and Braxton Blackwell, a lot of people thought it would be a long shot too. So, um but as far as a visit, uh, I, you know, if he does take that last that last official visit, I, I would assume that Alabama would be the um, the other school. Um, but the other school to really um, keep an eye on is TCU. Uh, a lot of people aren't talking about them, but um, they have the proximity to home and everything. And I, I've been told by some people that, you know, that's a 
that's another school that could really come in there late and, you know, try and make a push. Baylor as well. So um, just watch those two. I think if he takes that other visit, it'll come down to Baylor, TCU, and Alabama, though. Well, and, and Garrett, I wanted to ask you, too, if the, I, I'm just going to stick to what I've said. And what I've gone on record as saying is, is if um, Marcus Bolden takes an official visit to Alabama, that's where he'll sign. Now, he has not. You're, and as you're correct, he – he may be visiting Oklahoma this weekend. It looks like that's where he may he will visit. I, I'd like I want to see where he shows up first. But I will ask you this: I know they've I've heard rumors that they've become involved with Bruno Fernando, a six eleven center out of Florida. Who else is Alabama involved with from a standpoint of post player? Because that seems to be the the one need left in this class. Right. Um. You know they're definitely gonna that with that last scholarship they're definitely gonna add a post player. Um. I think Schneider Harrod, um, from he's also from Dallas, the Dallas, Texas area. Uh, he's visited uh, Mississippi State and a couple of other schools, Kansas as well. I think he's one to watch, uh, but definitely Bolden is the first the first priority right now. And um, I, honestly, I haven't really, you know, went down and really looked at who else you know they could be in there for, but definitely Harrod and Bolden. Uh, would be the top two, I think. Uh, def- I, I would, you know, Harrod's one of those guys that uh, he doesn't. Not only a lot of people know much about his recruitment and everything, so um, the general public doesn't really know who all's in there and everything. So he's one that could really, you know, we had a podcast today, and I think his name came up as far as you know, a guy that could really surprise some people as far as making an early November decision and really surprising some people with where he goes and everything. So definitely watch out for Snyder Harrod. Um, other than that, uh, I know Andrew Gordon. Um, for, he He's originally from Florida now at prep school in the Northeast. Uh, he's another one to watch. I know Alabama watched him a little bit during July. I'm not sure if that interest is still there or not, but that's another name I would watch for too. And I'll ask you about another post player, uh, Garrett and, and you know, it's a kind of an odd list, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Middle Tennessee, Troy, and Alabama. So I'm kind of wondering how firm his offer is. But what, if anything, do we know about a guy from the same hometown as Antonio McDice, uh, Darius Hicks? Yeah, Darius Hicks. Um, you know, this guy was a former Mississippi State commit um, under Rick Ray. Once Ben Howland got the job, he kind of opened things up. Um I know Georgia Tech and Southern Miss, and like you said, Troy and Middle Tennessee State are really in there, really deep. Um, I think if Alabama is interested in him, I think he's probably, you know, a second or third tier guy right now. But this guy, um, you know, really athletic and can rebound really well, undersized, four man. So uh, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what Alabama wants now that they have Braxton Key. Um, I would assume that they want, you know, a 6'9", 6'10", guy that can hold down the middle and, you know, protect the rim and all. But he is another one to watch, especially uh, I would assume Hicks is going to sign late and everything. Um, and you never know with transfers these days. Alabama may take a, take a chance on a kid like Darius Hicks and all. Um, but right now I would say he's another, you know, uh, on down the list guy for Alabama right now. And Garrett, uh, I wanted to ask you one more question, and 
uh, I think uh, with what Avery Johnson is doing, of course, he's got a top five class, could end up being a top three class before it's said and done, depending on the last piece. But regardless, it's going to be an extremely good class without ever having coached a game. And we all know about the 2017 in-state class. I know you're very familiar with all those guys. Uh, and in my opinion, there's three guys that I know Alabama would love to have. And it's, of course, John Petty at J.O. Johnson. But, of course, he's going to be nationally recruited. Jamal Johnson, the son of Buck Johnson at Spain Park. Obviously, his teammate Austin Wiley is committed to Auburn. And then, of course, Alex Reese, who I know you guys reported Alabama was in to see this week. Uh, what do you – if, if Alabama can, can pull this off and it looks like they're going to and sign a great class, how, do you, how much do you think that's going to help in recruiting this in-state class next year uh, for Avery Johnson? Oh, I, I think this is definitely going to, you know, um, be a big thing. Like I said, I've said, you know, good players want to play with good players. And we saw that with Ferguson and, you know, Armand Davis and Braxton uh, following and everything. So that's definitely, you know, that'll be a big thing. Um, but one thing, one thing to worry about with these um, 2017 kids is, too, I know a lot of people are going to expect a lot of things from Alabama basketball this season. And, you know, they may come out and surprise a lot of people. But still, you know, there still needs to be some realistic expectations. Avery doesn't necessarily have all of his style of players in there yet. So, um, you know, it, it may be a tough year but where they have to really grind it out. And that's the really only thing, problem that I could see as well, oh, you know, these 2017 kids see the performance on the court and they don't look past that. Um, but, you know, they'll definitely, the coaching staff will definitely sell, you know, their things are going to be different and all. So, um, you know, that that's one thing that, that that's the biggest thing. And I'm not saying that, you know, Alabama's going to be terrible or anything. I think they will really, um, guys, I'm not sure where they were voted in the SEC preseason poll today. For some reason, I, I think I saw them 14th maybe. Um if, if it was four, if it was 14th, I think they'll you know surprise some people and finish a little bit higher than that. But um, you know that's the main thing. Um, and yes, like you said, um, high school basketball practice started uh, in the state Monday, and um, you know I could have told you anyway that uh, Alabama was going to be there to see Alex Reese. I think um, that would be their top guy in the. Uh, 2017 class in Alabama right now. They really like him, and they would also love, you know, to get Jamal and uh, John Petty as well. But both of those guys, they're going to be tough. So, um, you know, I I think Alabama would really um, lead for Alex Reese right now, but UAB and Vanderbilt and Auburn are both right there, are all right there too. So, um, but, yeah, definitely those three kids are going to be – um, you know, tracked really closely by the staff this high school season and going into the summer next year. Well, great stuff, Garrett, man. We always appreciate the time. We thank you for joining BAM for the first time, and uh, we look forward to having you on again in the future. And, of course, uh, we definitely will have you back on Talking Ball. But we really appreciate you joining BAM's radio tonight. I know our listeners have been waiting for this, and I know Carrie and Thomas have really enjoyed it as well as I have. And uh, we knew you would uh, bring the information. We really thank you for uh, bringing your insight into basketball recruiting. We look forward to having you again soon. And have a great rest of your evening, my friend. Thank you for coming on uh, with us. You too, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that's right, Garrett well, you, Tucker, Garrett. everyone. Garrett Tucker of HoopScene.com, bringing, bringing the info. Uh, Drew and I are going to respectfully disagree with him on the Marcus Bowden taking that Oklahoma visit this weekend. But maybe we're just being optimistic, but – 
some of our recruits and players at Alabama feel like that Marcus Bowden will be in Tuscaloosa Saturday. But time will tell. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll know sooner than later. Speaking of Saturday, uh, right there in front of Little Hall and Moore Hall, uh, we're going to be having a pretty important barbecue this week, and it's going to be catered by one of this show's longest-standing sponsors, Chuck Peak of Big Head Chuck's Barbecue. And we are joined now live from Baldwin County, Alabama, by Mr. Chuck Peak. You know him as Chuck. I know him as Big Head. But we all know him as somebody that can cook the heck out of some barbecue. Chuck, thank you for calling BAMS Radio on your own hotline, Big Head's Barbecue Hotline. What's going on, buddy? I feel so special that I have my own hotline. How how awesome is that? You must you must just stay awake at night, just salivating, thinking about it. Oh, I, it's it's awesome. How how y'all doing tonight? Doing, doing well, good. Chuck. Glad to have you join us, man. Chuck, that we want to uh, we want to get you to tell us a little bit about this uh, special event that's going on this Saturday uh, in front of Little Hall and Moore Hall. Well, we've got. Big Heads Barbecue will be at uh, the 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 only two games that will that I will be at will be the Tennessee game and the LSU game. Um, I, it's hard for me to travel to the the non conference games right now, but we've got uh, something that's near and dear to my heart this weekend. Uh, as everybody knows, if you don't know, Kerry Good, uh, who is a big you know big supporter of Bams Radio and Big supporter of Big Heads Barbecue, and also a big head, uh, big supporter of Sunbelt Tents. And Kerry has um, got ALS now, or better known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And I have come to know Kerry through our through our joint tailgates, and he's an awesome, awesome person. And we have decided that this weekend, all proceeds that are raised. Uh, will will go directly to Kerry for his fight for ALS. So anybody that stops by and gives, you know, we'll take any donation. We'll take uh, quarters. We'll take dollars. But, you know, we'll take change. It doesn't matter. But anybody that stops by and gives a donation of $10 or more gets a, gets a free plate of, of Big Heads Barbecue. And like I said, it's it's for a great cause. We you know we want everybody to to drop on by and and we're going to have pulled pork. We're going to have uh, baked beans and slaw. Carrie, I know you're going to be disappointed. We're not going to have triple threat, but we're probably going to have that for the LSU game. So, um, but yeah, it's it's just it's it's just something that I felt led to do. And and like I said, it's for a great cause, and and we just hope everybody will come by and 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 make a donation for Kerry because I know he needs our help. The the Bama Nation needs to rise up and 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 help one of its members out. Well, I'll get over the thing about the triple threat. I can certainly wait for LSU for that. <laughs> I, I, I I'm thrilled. You know, my favorite thing, believe it or not, I like your sauce so much. I I wouldn't really care what you brought as long as it was some kind of meat and I could put that sauce on it. And I don't want to, I don't want, I'm not going to ask you to give away your recipe, but you got a great homemade sauce. I did want to ask you though, what else will be on the menu? Uh, like as far as side items or desserts or anything like that? Well, we're going to have, um, a lot of different people will be bringing some desserts. Um, like I said, we, we, we will have, we will have our baked beans. Well, we'll have our slaw. 
um, let's see, I'm trying to think. I know uh, one of our frequent tailgaters will be bringing his uh, Skyline Chili Dip. Uh, there might even be some uh, there might be some fireball cake there from what I've been told. So, you know, we've got other things, uh, you know, if you're not into to barbecue and I will, I will have some chicken there. There's a few people that do, that do come to our tailgates that, that, that's not, um, um, pork fans. You know, I find that hard to understand that we will have a little bit of, of sliced chicken, sliced smoked chicken there to accommodate our non pork eating individuals and chuck uh this is jerry Armand. uh again glad to have you join us and i've i've been by your tailgate and of course we've met briefly and i've uh sampled your food you do a great job but i, I just wanted you to kind of talk about uh you know th- this season as a whole i know we haven't had a chance to speak with you this has been a interesting football season for alabama and i know it should be a festive crowd for tennessee we help a lot of people come by the tailgate and and help carry Goode's cause because you know, he played in a lot of these games and he, uh, he he wore the crimson jersey and he's always been a class uh, uh, you know representative of Alabama and of course a member of one of the first families of Alabama football. But what have been your thoughts on this season? It's been an interesting one. I know there's been uh, some uh, angst during the during uh, the uh, beginning of it, but. Uh, they've had two really good games and performances on the road. It's been kind of funny that they haven't played as well at home, but it sure would be nice for them to to uh, take out their frustrations on Tennessee uh, Saturday. Yeah, um, I'm just going to tell you, I'm my heart can't take Alabama football. Watching on TV, it gets me so nervous that I feel like I juju the team when I watch. <laughs> when I watch, so um, I tend to uh, turn it off from time to time. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Alabama football, but I feel like I help the team by, by, by looking away from time to time to, to um, um, see if I can help them out a little bit. I was watching the, the Texas A&M game right before halftime, and I was getting a little nervous. Uh, granted, special teams was, was, was scoring for, for Texas A&M, but it – I feel like if Saban can can pull them together right here at at this point in time, I think that he can ride. He's he's got them right where he wants them, and 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 it we're a dangerous team right now, very dangerous team, and I'm I'm excited about what what our defense can do if 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 we can stop Fournette. And I, and I hate to look ahead, look past Tennessee, and I hope we don't look past Tennessee. Uh, but I think if we can stop or at least slow down Fournette, we've got a chance to just go all the way. I think that's fair. That 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 game, in my opinion, is going to determine the Western Division. I do feel like that uh, Ole Miss will slip up along the way, whether it's this week against A&M or against LSU. They're going to lose one of those games, if not both of them. Uh, right. it, it didn't help Alabama. It really didn't help Alabama that, as, as funny as I thought it was for Memphis to beat Ole Miss. It didn't help our strength of schedule. But at the same time, I don't think Ole Miss is going to sweep A&M and LSU. I, I, Brad, I don't think so. Brad, but, I, but Memphis, Memphis is undefeated right now. You know, it, it may yeah. not help our strength of schedule, but they're undefeated if they can, 
if they can run the table and you know maybe finish twelve and one, you know it it may help us a little bit. But like I said, we control our own destiny. If if we can if if we can win our games out, you know we're you know we're we're in the we're in the good. But you know it, it, I'm 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 nervous about LSU. I'm thankful we're playing them at home. Um, I don't think they've announced uh, what time they're playing, but it's probably going to be a night game. And you know how those Cajuns are at night. They get a little rowdy. So uh, it it ought to be interesting. Well, if we win this week, uh, I actually think it'll be a 2.30. The CBS is not going to pass on the game that determines the SEC West, I don't think. Well, Well, Kerry, what I've been told is it's going to be a CBS, but they're going to have the – it may be a doubleheader. I think it's going to be seven o'clock. No, oh, that's, right. that's what I'm hearing, but we'll see. I mean, it may very well be two thirty, but I'm I'm betting it's going to be a night game, prime time. Well, maybe mm-hmm. one of the days where the second game is like at six. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, Chuck, I want to get back to this Saturday. Uh, just taking a wild guess, uh, is is it safe to say that that uh, there'll be a number of ex-Alabama players at the BAM stint helping support Kerry? There, there is a possibility. You know, we've had from time to time. Um, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but Antonio Langham, man, he won't leave me alone about my barbecue. And uh, love Antonio. Uh, Chris Goode has been known to stop by from a time or time. Uh, Pierre Goode. Um, there, there's been a few that have have passed David, through. David Palmer. David, David yeah, that's what, David. David Palmer's been by and. Like I said, I, I, I know Kerry personally, and and I told, you know, I called Kerry and I asked him if it was okay if I'd done this, and and he was totally on board with it. You know, he you know Kerry's not one to draw attention to himself, but, you know, Kerry needs help right now. Kerry, Kerry needs us. And, and, you know, like I said, it just, it's just something that I wanted to do, but I, I would love to see as many people come by, like I said, even if they're not interested in eating, you know, a couple of dollars donation will will help. But th- there is a possibility that um, we could have a, a an ex football player or two stop by, and you know, believe it or not, we've had a few of the players, current players, uh, stop by our tent on the way back out of the game once the game is over with you know you know the bams radio tent is still kicking even after the game we you know we have we have tvs we have uh refreshments and and there's there's still people hanging around the tent so we've had a few of the of the current players will stop by our tent and and hang out and watch tv and you know you know, t- give a few autographs, that, but they're they're very good about stopping by because we are right there on the sidewalk uh, in front of Little Hall, Little Hall, and on the corner of University and Elm. Yeah, uh, Chuck, no doubt. And two of my favorites, there. I'm looking at their jerseys on my wall right now are David Palmer and Antonio Langham. It'd be great if they would come by. And I know uh, we uh, we're hoping that uh, we can get uh, Langham and hopefully even David Palmer as well at our event. We're we're scheduling an event. Uh, in North Alabama for Kerry Good as well at Greenbrier uh, Barbecue Restaurant, um, the old Greenbrier, uh, for December the 8th to try to raise some money for Kerry Good as well and 
for what he's meant. We're going to have we're trying to get a lot of former Alabama players and playing on it at that event, and uh, and uh, we uh, and we and we were going to try to kind of piggyback on what you're doing, and we just think it's a great thing that you what you're doing to try to help carry good, and we all want to try to pitch in and help out. Well, fellas, I appreciate you taking my call, and like I said, um, uh, this is go- this this weekend is going to be very special for me, just because it is for Kerry. And I remember, you know, I was 16, 15, 16, when when Kerry was was running through the backfield, and it, it's funny. I'm sitting out here, and I'm in Spanish Fort, Alabama, right now, and I'm got me a little fire going here in my fire pit. But I remember back in the back in the late 80s when Kerry used to run. Me and my dad used to go out in the woods and and cut firewood during the this fall cool fall weather to get ready for winter and i remember hearing hearing eli talk about uh carry good and you know it's just i just i feel a connection with carry like i said i know him very well but it, it this is something that's just near and dear to my heart and and i hope it's successful i hope everybody comes out and you know drops a few dollars in there for carry because every dime will go directly to Kerry for for this weekend. Well that's awesome and uh Chuck, we do appreciate you coming on and uh you know don't don't be a stranger. We we probably should have you back on the week of the L S U game because maybe there'll be a we'll have a little bit of talk about that me and you too. But as I far would, as I would love goes, to do that. Thank you. Okay. But we'll have you back on the week of the L S U game. There is a a lot of people don't realize it because I heard some radio calls today, but there's a buy after the Tennessee game before we play L S U so it's not it's not back to back. There's a, there's an off week in there, but everybody keeps Thank saying goodness. Yeah, it's like you need a little relief at sometimes, you know, you, and heal up some injuries and that kind of thing. But we we sure appreciate you coming on on Bams. Uh, you're you're a big reason that we get to have this show, and uh, you know it's a lot of fun for all three of us. And and we appreciate you being the sponsor of the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you Saturday, young man. Well, guys, y'all, y'all, like I said, enjoy your show and roll tide. Good night, Thank Chuck. you. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Chuck. We really appreciate you calling. Good to hear from you. And, uh, Drew, uh, why don't you go ahead and give a little bit more detail for those that didn't hear about it the first hour about the other Kerry Good event in North Alabama in December. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be at the old Greenbrier Barbecue, uh, you know, just outside of Decatur, Alabama. Uh, restaurant's been around a long time. We're going to have – Kerry Good will be there speaking, giving his testimony. Uh, he, he and his wife are coming up, and uh, we plan on uh, trying to fill the room. We'd like to at least get a hundred Crimson Tide fans, and we'd like to. And we're, we're we want everybody to pay twenty to forty dollars a head, and of course uh, eat a nice meal there. But we would really just want to to raise some money for Kerry and his cause, Kerry Strong, and uh, we're of course going to try to put put it on the NATI website and uh, get people to also order some of his T-shirts. Uh, hopefully, you know we can get some of the, we can get that done as well. We're going to have a lot of former players there. I was talking to Wes Neighbors this afternoon. He and Hoss Johnson have already been uh, contacted. William Barger, who was on the program earlier tonight in the first hour, he is uh, committed to be there. Hopefully, we'll have Antonio Langham in tow uh, to to help you know this cause. And who knows? Uh, we, and I'm going to try to contact Chris Anderson as well uh, from the Huntsville area. Uh, to have him there. We just want to get as many former players as we can there and as many Alabama fans to just try to help Kerry Good uh, in his cause and raise some money for him because, as Chuck said, uh, he needs our help. Uh, 
he's a crimson brother like everyone else and uh, of course he's uh, he's uh, he, he's he's lived such a full life i mean his career at alabama got cut short i mean he could have been a heisman trophy winner and had a long nfl career but did not but still became uh, an excellent a, a a big time trainer and uh you know and uh in and a guy that had a strength coach that worked on the NFL level and has lived in Atlanta for a long time and has always been a productive member of society. And just we just really want to help Kerry Goode out, much like the, the Bama Nation has done with Kevin Turner. And uh, both situations are just so tragic. But, again, Kerry's, uh, you know, living life to the fullest, and uh, we just want to try to help him out in North Alabama. And it will be, again, on December the 8th. I would imagine people will start arriving around 4.30 or 5, but there will be more details coming out about it. But it is confirmed, and uh, we just look forward to having the Bama Nation turn out and, and try to help raise some money for a great cause. And it will be partially emceed by Freddie Kirby, Drew DeArmond, and Kerry Clark. So that will be fun. We'll all share our Kerry Good memories. And uh, Speaking of memories, um, here, here's a young man that forgot to call us last week, but we're going to let him go ahead and come on tonight in repentance. Uh, live from Greenville, Alabama, your friend of mine, former national championship manager from 1979 for University of Alabama, Colin Big C. McGuire. Welcome in, Big C. Thank you, Kerry and Drew. That's a nice intro there. I like that. <laughs> uh, well, hey, how uh, you doing, Big C? Good. You doing all right, Drew? Doing well, well man. We good, Glad good. to have you back this week. Thank you. I, I just it just slipped my mind last week. Just until the, I don't know. I just got so much going on. Uh, I just need me a secretary. So I think I might need one because it looks like we got all kind of stuff going on. Something's going on here and there, yonder. I mean, just uh, I'm not bored right now. Let's put it that way. Uh, well, what did y'all think about Saturday's game? I got to say it was pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was the best defensive performance of the year when you consider the personnel at Texas A&M, the environment, and the way all of them performed. I thought it was an excellent team win, a big-time step in the right direction. Now they just need to play well at home, Big C, against a Tennessee team that's talented uh, but young. Uh, it's a dangerous game, but if Alabama is much like Arkansas, if they have the right mindset, I think they're going to handle business. I think it's going to be hard for Tennessee to score on Alabama. If Alabama protects the football, I'm going to – the formula has been set, Big C, 20 to 25 passes, pound the rock with Derrick King-Henry, and the bottom line is protect the football. If Jake Coker protects the football, if, you know, the special teams is, is decently clean, and I know they, there were some mistakes there against Texas A&M, but if, if they play a solid game and win the turnover battle, they're not going to lose to Tennessee. Well, you know, I didn't know until last week when I was doing research for my show for tomorrow, talking Bama with Big C, that this guy named Kirk for them was, uh, gosh, he, that freshman for them is really good. He was leading the nation in punt returns. We helped him out on that. He's pretty good on all-purpose yardage, and also he was pretty high up on, I think it was like number 13 in the nation. or number No, might have been number four. I can't remember exactly where, but he was in the top. 15 in receiving, and they had another receiver that was. But um, the thing is that uh, with the front seven Alabama's got, they could not run the ball. And uh, the pass rush, is needless to say, has improved a lot. And I think what she was telling me late earlier this year was what's the name, Tosh LaPoy. looked like he's been a pretty big addition along with Mel Tucker on the defense. 
Yes, both of them have been great additions, Big C, no doubt about it. We've seen Tim Williams in the last month. He's now got three and a half sacks, become a disruptive force on third down. And then, of course, Rashawn Evans has shown flashes. Better play out of uh, uh, Denzel Duvall. And then, of course, the only one that's kind of struggled out of the unit is uh, Dylan Lee. Uh, but, again, uh, still, Ryan Anderson has played well also. I, I do think uh, that it, this is a good matchup for Alabama. The main thing, they've got to slow Jalen Hurd and Alvin Kamara, who both are good backs. Uh, but Alabama has been very tough against the run. And I know Josh Dobbs is really the first athletic quarterback they've seen. But this defense, it took a couple of years, but I think this this team is much better now uh, against mobile QBs and against the spread offense, which, which is what you've seen. Uh, thus far, they've done much better against the hurry-up, no huddle. Uh, you know, Nick Saban, great coaches, always evolve, and I feel like this defense has. Well, they, they have done a real good job on doing that, that's for sure. Um, now, um, okay, uh, I'm trying to think, how many how many of the fronts, of the people on the front line, how many of them hate to look ahead? I mean, maybe just worry about this week, but I'm just thinking – I see Ryan Anderson. Will he be back next year? Who will be back next year that's in the rotation on the front right now? Well, I mean, right now you're you're looking you're going to lose Ashawn Robinson early to the NFL more than likely, uh, and then you're going and then Jaron Reed is a senior. He is gone. John Allen, that's to be determined. But he had two sacks this past Saturday. Team leading five on the year. He could leave early uh, without a doubt. I mean, you could. So you could lose those guys. And D.J. Petway is a senior. Linebacker-wise, you're going to lose the best middle linebacker in college football. And I'll just go on a mini rant right here. There were some preseason All-American teams that came out, and Reggie Ragland was not a first-team All-American. Because of that, they should just shut those organizations down and just basically uh, not have them be a non-factor because you obviously don't watch any football. You're obviously idiots, and you obviously don't know a damn thing about linebacker play if you don't think Reggie Ragland is a first-team All-American. If you do not have him as a first-team All-American, you need your head examined, and you really uh, just your football IQ is so low it doesn't even register on a scale. But anyway, uh, but, but Reggie Reggie will be a senior, and then of course Reuben Foster would take over for him. But and then Dylan Lee uh, would be gone as well. But they're not going to lose much in that regard. But Ryan Anderson would be, would be back. He'd be a fifth year senior, and I don't foresee him uh, turning pro. And then the big the biggest deal is you would only be losing out of the secondary really. Uh, Geno Mathias Smith and Cyrus Jones. Cyrus playing at a very high level. I do think Geno is replaceable. Uh, but I do think the defense. With Dalvin Tomlinson coming back, Sean Hand, uh, and you know Daron Payne being a sophomore, you'd still have Darren Lake, uh, Josh Frazier. There's still a lot of talented defensive linemen that would be returning, but you would be losing some key pieces. Yeah, the Frazier boy from Arkansas is he playing that much, or is he sort of deep on the depth chart right now? He's deep on the depth chart right now, but he's somebody that would play much more next year, I think, and could and could still be, no question about it, a, a really fine player. And then, of course, you'd have Tim Williams back who can uh, be even if, – say if he gets another year better, he can be a guy that could play every down, and he could be a tremendous guy that could play uh, with his hand in the dirt at times and, and of course, be a disruptive force. Mm-hmm. Big C, can I ask you a question? Ask me. We had William Barger on last hour, and I got him to talk about a couple of games he was involved in and – 1990 and 1993 against Tennessee. But on the third Saturday of October, 
back in 1979, you were involved in a pretty interesting showdown against the Big sure Orange last year as a manager. Uh, Stedman Shewitt did not have a lot of bad games, but he wasn't that was really one on that day, at least, Phil. And so a guy who's now the head coach at Onyana High School uh, came off the bench, the pride of Scottsboro, left-handed wishbone quarterback Don Jacobs, and he helped yeah, he lead a comeback. Oh, he, he wasn't, wasn't left-handed. No, was. He wasn't left-handed. But For some he... reason, we wanted to call him Snake Mess because that rhymed with Jake. But anyway, uh, no. anyway, when Don Jacobs came off the bench to lead a pretty good comeback, tell us what you remember about that game at Legion Field. Well, you know, we were beating, stomping on everybody. Then, we know, you know, we uh, they fumbled and they got seven to nothing. So, I wasn't, I wasn't happy about it, but you sort of tell they was fired up. And then what the deal was, they got the ball the next time and just drove it down the field and scored, and then they got it again, and they kicked the field goal, and all of a sudden it was 17 to nothing. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was starting to panic. And then, you know, my, then they decided to let Major Oakley run the ball some in the first half. But anyway, uh, i tell you what, the key turnaround that game was, uh, you remember Alabama drove down the field, and Allen Gray fumbled on the end around, and they recovered it on the next play. They fumbled and Alabama recovered it. And on the next play, uh, you know, he didn't play a good game that day. But on that one play, Stedman Sheely, they went for the throat and hit Tim Travis right down the middle on a 32-yard touchdown. And then things started settling down. I was still a little worried. But I remember at halftime going somewhere. I guess I had to go to the restroom or something. But I was hearing all these Tennessee fans crawl about how they're going to New Orleans that year. And I said, mine, I said no, y'all not. And then next thing you know, in the second half, they just took it to them. And uh, Stedman Sheely, I mean, uh, Major Ogilvy and Jacobs just dominated the second half, and the defense settled down. And then next thing you know, and then I remember Lauren Lyles threw that quarterback down like a rag doll on one play, and it just got the whole crowd fired up and just just went warm down and won 27-17. That was a great comeback. What are your feelings about this week's game? You got you feel pretty confident? Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. I got Alabama winning thirty eight to seventeen. I just think that uh I know they got a, they've done real well even in the games they've lost, but I just I maybe I'm I know you don't supposed to compare teams, but uh let's see, I lost to um let's see, I lost to um Florida the way they did and then the way they lost to Oklahoma. And uh, anyway, how they came back against Georgia was pretty amazing. Who else was it that beat them? I'm trying to remember. Because uh, aren't they 3-3 three and three on the year talking about Tennessee? Yeah, yeah uh, Arkansas, yeah. Oklahoma, and uh, – Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Arkansas gained a bunch of yards. Yeah, Arkansas gained a bunch of yards on them, and they slowed them down in the whole second half up there. So, I, I mean, I feel like we can run. You know, the Arkansas ran all over Texas A&M, so I don't see why we couldn't do that on Tennessee uh, Saturday. And so I'm just thinking, um, and the defense, I think, will slow them down somewhat. And uh, and like you said, if Alabama takes care of the ball, uh, they're going to be really, really, really hard to beat. I think they do that. I don't know. What's the status of um, – Ryan, uh, I mean, yeah, Ryan um, uh, Taylor, the the center. Ryan Kelly, Kelly, Big C. uh, William Barger believes he's going to play. He did practice today without without contact, so 
it looks like there is a decent chance he is going to play Saturday uh, after missing the second half uh, and a little in the, at the very end of the first half against Texas A&M. And J.C. Hassenauer has been taking the first-team reps in his stead, but the chances are that Ryan Kelly will be back. Well, I know he. I know the half an hour guy you're talking about doesn't have. I mean, he sort of got thrown into the wolves. You know, sort of rough. But um, hopefully, if he if Kelly can't play, they'll give him enough reps where he can be able to do. You know, be able to uh, handle it. And you know, some I think it was on Royce Neighbor show earlier. They mentioned Bradley Bozeman. I'm sort of surprised they didn't try him some at center because he played it last year. So. Yeah, everybody's kind of been surprised by that. It's one of the great unknowns of the season. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel pretty good about it, and um, and I feel like Alabama's getting uh, they're sort of getting into the groove. And around this time of year, every year, I mean, when they had a good, real, real good team, the week after the third Saturday, you know, this is the Tennessee game on the fourth Saturday in October, but. Uh, Somewhere around midway of the season, they just, from a historical standpoint, just started taking control. Well, Big C, I think you might be past your bedtime, man. <laughs> All right, we we well, need to wrap up, though. All right, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow, but uh, I feel good about Alabama winning Saturday. Well, appreciate it, Big down. C. Always appreciate the Thank time, you. man. Thanks for calling. Roll Tide. Thank you. Roll Have Tide, you all right, well, we'll go ahead and start to wrap now. Big C's got 38-17. Uh, I'm going to say 31-17, to Bama. Why don't you two guys give your predictions? I've got 34-14, to Alabama. And uh, go ahead, Thomas. Uh, I had 27-13 to start the week, and I'm going to stand on that. Alabama's defense is going to fall, but they'll sleep well enough to give up a little bit. Nice. Okay. Consensus. All, the entire panel has voted Alabama to win by at least two touchdowns. I can live with that. Well, that's going to wrap up another edition of Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. For Thomas Watson, Touchdown Alabama Magazine, for Rudy Harmon, the 97.7, his own ESPN in Huntsville. I am Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, the subsidiary of Scout.com. Thanks again for listening to Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Good night and roll tide. Roll tide.